Well, welcome everyone to Leaders Alliance podcast. We're so glad you could join us for this, uh, oh, whatever. <laughs> how, how am I freezing now, now that we have this? All right, so edit that out, uh, Jordan. <laughs> welcome everybody to the Leaders Alliance podcast. I'm here with Steve Witt, and we're going to talk today about leadership. Leadership mm. now, leadership into the future. It's going to be a great gathering. But before we do, let me just mention that we are Leaders Alliance. We are a community of kingdom-minded leaders that are from around the globe. We're connected to a larger ministry called Catch the Fire World. And what we're doing is we're seeking to actually build a bridge between Catch the Fire and the rest of the body of Christ to provide a kind of synergy, a, a connection, because we believe that ultimately God's purposes are most fulfilled when the body of Christ is unified, that when we're coming together from different branches, different streams into one river that's going to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And so actually, I'm so excited about Steve, you being on with us today. Steve is the pastor of uh, Bethel Cleveland. He is an amazing leader who has a rich history and he's been on before. So if you want to check out some more detail of his history, we have that in the previous podcast. But today we want to focus on leadership. But Give, me, give us, as we begin, Steve, give us a quick update about what's going on in your world, in your church, in your city, and just give us a picture of what's happening right now in, in, your, in your part of the world. You're muted, actually. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, there we go. There you go. Old man problem. All right. Okay. I'm on now. Hey, um, Really, where we are right now is, you know, we've we've uh, reorged in many ways. Uh, we're going deeper into leadership right now, and that's why it's a great topic to talk about right now. And uh, we are in amazing, changing times. So I'm kind of excited about it. I, I think I've been in an age. I'm turning. I'm 66 now, so I think I uh, I don't care about a lot of the things I used to care about or get anxiety or whatever it might be. So in some ways it's more fun to lead now than it was even 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm enjoying being with people more. I really feel there's a huge move toward community that wow. we need to be attending to in our businesses and our churches. So, so anyway, that's, that's my start. And coming out of coming out of the pandemic and all that stuff, how do you feel like you're repositioning yourself at this moment? What's what's happening? Well, we're a uh, we're a multi-site church, so we have uh, three campuses basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and during COVID, one of our campuses depleted, and the other one of the other campuses grew. Some of that was from crossover growth from one campus to another for various reasons, but. So we've had to kind of manage all that. And our third campus, which is in Akron, was being depleted also because of a state infrastructure thing where they were moving the highway mm. and it, uh, they closed off two exits. So we had to kind of reinvent ourselves. You know, one thing I've really enjoyed uh, this past year are some of the challenges that are making us rethink what we've been doing. And so mm. what we did is we put up our, I own a Catholic church. Uh, in Akron, <clears throat> we put it up for sale, and uh, we're, we're going to move that campus 10 minutes closer to the uh, main campus in a more populated area, 
a more middle class area, and uh, we're already seeing fruit from that. So it's turning around and it's growing. We had our kind of relaunch, so to speak, about three weeks ago, and we really doubled our size overnight just oh. by that. So, oh. I, you know, we're going to have to walk through that. And and so here's the bottom line, because I know you're not all of you are not multi-site or whatever, but you do have to rethink what you're doing. So even for 2023, our staff, we got together, our executive team, and what are things that we haven't preached on that we really need to preach on? Mm. Now, I'm a Holy Spirit guy, so I I tend to just like, you know, I'm a guy that goes week to week a lot, you know, like, well, mm. I sense this this week, that week. Yeah. And I'm learning a greater discipline now to do. I've always done series, but usually they're three or four weeks. Now we're doing quarters and, and we're doing quarters that we focus on. A couple of things we haven't focused on is family, hope, hope, meaning um, like eternal life, heaven, things like that. Yeah. We never talked about it. We haven't talked about giving a lot in recent years. So we're putting that in there. And then we're we're selecting a uh, a word to embody the entire year. So we have wrestled for about three months with what that word is. Uh, coming out of pandemic, it was kind of easy, stronger together, you know, gathered <laughs> yeah. together, united together. Everyone's doing that, you know. Exactly. I would say we're we're out of the pandemic, confirmed, and uh, <clears throat> so the Lord gave me. I was sitting in a uh, in Canada actually a couple of weeks ago, in a health food uh, restaurant store, <clears throat> and I looked up on the wall and they had the word. They had a couple words written there, but the one that popped off was flourish. Wow. And so I looked up flourish. In fact, I may look it up for you here real quick because it um, it is powerful word. I don't, I don't know why. It's just not a word I use a lot. It mm -hmm. sounds more like a gardening flower word, you know. Yeah. It and does. Uh, in fact, one of my uh, one of my team leaders kind of resisted, pushed back, and said it, it sounds feminine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, maybe we need to sound feminine right now because. Yeah. Because we've been hardcore, let's reach the world, let's go to the nations and all that. And I think after the pandemic, God's really speaking to a garden experience right now. Wow. And and uh, how we nourish one another. In fact, our three words that we picked for 2023 is uh, uh, nourish, heal, and flourish. So wow. let me just read flourish to you. <clears throat> it says this, uh, oh, where is it here? It says, da, 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 grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as a result of a particularly favorable environment. Wow. And so that I love that because I it speaks of grow, developing, healthy, vigorous. We want to do it with joy, especially as a result of a particular favorable environment, which is the church. So the church, instead yeah. of being divided, I just heard of a friend of mine in another city who uh, their church, sizable church, is divided right now over Republican and Democrat, liberal. Oh, and and we had to, you know, we had to walk through that whole process, too, which is a part of what happened during the pandemic. Sure. So flourish to me feels like that embodies everything we want to do. Wow. I want people to flourish. I, I want them yeah. to grow, expand, feel connected feel planted. I think planted is a, is a key word for the next five years mm. that uh, Bob Jones said that uh, the 2020s were about rest. Wow. 
And I love Bob Jones stuff and I really followed him for decades. And he said 2020 to 20, he, he gave a hundred year prophecy. And he said from 2020, this was years ago, 2020 to 2030 is rest. 2030 to 2040 is going to be family. And so we're aligning to that because I, it, it, it bears witness in my, my heart. Yeah. So flourish is a part of you're planted, you're connected, you're in community, you flourish. That's so good. Yeah, we started using the word thrive um, about six, seven years ago, and now everybody's using it. So you can't really use thrive anymore. It's kind of thrive like a good word, but it is a good one. But I thrive, like thrive rather than strive. Striving, yeah, exactly. thriving. That's, that's exactly. a good sermon. But flourish, flourish actually is a great word because it does have that sense of flowering and and uh, coming into life and and um, I think that that it really is capturing that heart. I think the the issue of healing as well that you're that you're that's a focus, mm-hmm. and then you know that's issue of family. Those are those are things that I'm feeling a lot about right now, mm-hmm. and um, I actually wrote a book on that I haven't published yet because I'm slow to get things to the finish line, but on, on doing church as family, what is that? What does mm. it mean? How do we do it? And uh, cause we use that term all the time in reference to church, but I don't know if we, if we really have unpacked it fully, you know, mm. belonging is one aspect, but, but family is more than belonging. It's also becoming, we've yes. got to move from belonging to becoming. If we want to see true sons and daughters raised up into the fullness of Christ. I'm taking notes. <laughs> and so this is really where we need to be uh, focused. Now, let me ask you one more question before yeah. we dive into the leadership topic. Obviously, you guys went through some challenges with your multi-campus reality. You said a little bit earlier that you guys have had some some need to rebuild your leadership teams and get those things focused. And we're going to explore that in just a moment. But also, I want to I want to look at just for a moment the things outside the church because you guys have been a church that's really been in the community. You've been you know, accessing people, you have art stuff that you're doing, you know, plays and different things. Um, yeah. You had ministry to the poor and different. Tell us about how that was impacted during this last season, this last two to three years, and how you're coming out of that now to re- reinvigorate marketplace ministry or or other kinds of outreach efforts. Give us a picture of that. Yeah, we're uh, we're doing a number of things to tap the, uh, to mine the uh, I'm mixing my metaphors here uh, to to mine the 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 caves of of the riches of the people that are in our church. Uh-huh. So I'm not sure that we've been really good at that in the past, but now we're focusing on. I mean, we're finding out we've got we've got to, we've got a lady in our church who's who's on the cutting edge of technology. She's an Indian woman. Uh, technology she's developing a technology that will that examines almost like a cat scan it examines kidneys wow in in layers where they can tell that you're going to have cancer in five or ten years and so we have that lady we have two that are rocket scientists the nasa is here in cleveland and uh, they work for nasa they've got various jobs one of them has a job that he can't really talk about or he'd have to kill me, you know. And uh, <laughs> uh, we've got the, we've so we got that. We've got uh, lawyers, doctors, teachers, um, and creative people. And I'll tell you one thing: we did during COVID. I've had this idea for years, 
And as as most pastors, you the idea has to be accompanied with a person with a vision. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're going to be holding on to this thing forever, you know. And okay. so um, I talked to a few people, just started envisioning them about the arts. And of course, when many people think of the arts, they think of fine arts, they think of painting and, and stuff like that. But I said, what about theater arts? Because I feel there's going to be a desire to commune. Some of the most powerful experiences I've had in art is in a London theater. Oh. And I've been to probably 15 or 20 uh, theaters in London. And, you know, Les, Les Miserables and, you know, the, uh, Lion King and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, all the all the big ones are out there. And they, they were so there's something so engaging that you just can't really get on the computer. You know, it's something know. about live experience together. I mean, so anyway, I can't. I, let me just pause for one second yeah. here. I have to tell you that when I saw Les Miserables live, I couldn't believe that I started <laughs> weeping and crying. I mean, it was like wait a minute, this doesn't happen to me, you know, but there's something about live people doing something together so powerfully with a message that just yes. literally like, you know, grabbed my heart out of me. So anyway, and experience, I'm and experiencing that. it together. I mean, yeah. when you've got a crowd, you know, it's typically you don't have 150 people over at your house to watch something. Right. Exactly. So when you go to a theater, you you are kind of communally engaging in something. Right. And so I've had an idea swirl around my head for 30 years um, about a guy. It's kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge, but he goes to sleep, has an argument with his wife. He goes to sleep. And while he's asleep, he, he kind of enters into a reality of being blind Bartimaeus. So oh, he's in the wow. streets. He's blind. He wakes up blind. He starts screaming out like a blind man would. And, uh, and he hears Jesus, someone saying, Jesus is coming. Jesus, and this guy is far from God, but it, he's now struck blind in this re reality. He's answering, so he cries out. Jesus comes over, heals him. You know the story. Yeah. And then blind Bartimaeus, who's now not blind Bartimaeus, this guy we call Joe, follows Jesus, encountering different things along the way, the woman caught in adultery and so forth. Wow. Anyway, at the end of it, he wakes up, kind of like an Ebenezer Scrooge thing. And he's reconciled with his wife because his life is impacted by that. Anyway, wow. over 30 people in one showing came to the Lord uh, from that. We packed out. We had oh, uh, awesome. five, to six, five to 600 people in the showings wow. coming. So we were on our way. But what that did, let me tell you behind the scenes. <clears throat> behind the scenes, as we started announcing we wanted to do this, that Steve Witt, Jay, my, my son-in-law, are writing, creating this play. People got very curious, you know. We, we got 70 people involved in that play, oh, <laughs> 70 people, uh, which would be like 10% of our church uh, in that campus, uh, 70 people that had stagecraft experience, acting experience, makeup oh, experience. God. It was like it was all sitting out there, and we would have never known it. So, so quickly, we wrote a second play. I had this idea about the three magi, but a fourth one that tagged along with them that had nefarious intentions oh, he had wow. a deal with herod uh to get some money and then of course he's the one that turns them in and yeah. says i know where they are and so forth so we do this play and at the end of course uh he sees jesus because he's he's the fourth magi that shows up when he sees him in the manger he collapses in front of the and he begins to cry out to god 
scores of people came to know Jesus that I mean it's powerful, you know. So right now we're right now we're in the middle of writing a a uh, play called Songs of Deliverance. And it uh, we've never done these things before, by the way. This is we're we're mining those caves, those mines that are in our church. And so we uh we're writing a play on the Underground Railroad, Songs of Deliverance, because songs they sang in the South, many of them mapped out the path to escape. Right. Yeah. You know, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot was about, you know, the, the North coming down to rescue them and pull them out. Right. So there's all kinds of really, so we're going to use those escape songs throughout this play. Wow. We're going to, we're going to kick it off in an outdoor play in the summertime with actually slaves coming up our fields. We have a, we're on a farm out here. Yeah. And slaves will come up through the field and it's their encounter from the South to the north and eventually escaping to Canada. We believe it's going to touch and wreck. Our goal here is not to win souls, although we, we will win souls. We want to reconcile black and white in America. We want something like, like Uncle Tom's Cabin that could, you know, that which was a play originally. Sure. All around the country and either bring angst in racist hearts wow. or, or, or bring joy in the hearts of blacks that were recognized and loving on them and bringing people together. So all this came out of COVID. You know, we had never done anything like that before. We've got great worship bands and stuff like that, but this was uniquely different. So to answer your question, we dug deeper with what we had. You know, you get into leading and church planning and all that, you're you're in survival mode sometimes. Yes. And during COVID, we kind of reverted a little bit back to survival mode. I thought, wait a minute, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna live this way. Yeah. Let's rest, let's hear from God. Let's do some prayer. Let's do some fasting and and let's see what he does. And he gave us a few things now, a third thing, and we're moving on it. We also have uh, uh, written uh, nine original songs. Uh, I think three of them were picked up by Catch the Fire. Uh, wow. I think four actually on Catch Fire's album. If you want to hear, cool. we've got some great songs coming out. And we have a budding crew of about six or seven songwriters that are cranking them out now on a regular basis. So creativity is coming out. People are getting involved at a deeper level. If you want people to be a part of your church, you have to get them involved. They they have to have their fingers or their foot in something. And if they do, they're more likely to stay and they're more likely to invite friends. That's so important. That's such an amazing thing. I'm I'm so proud of you guys for doing that because oh we're, we're having a lot of fun with it. We get back in our vineyard days in San Francisco. We were able to do quite a few kind of productions of different kinds, and um and it was it was pretty amazing. I was just in a church in Brazil with twenty thousand members. Ooh. They have a football field for their stage, and they're oh. cast when they do their Passover play, or their you know their their uh, crucifixion resurrection play yeah. they call it pasqua it's got 500 staff uh, i know it's it's like crazy hey. it's like it's and, and it was just you know absolutely phenomenal i got to see it one year but i i just believe that creativity is one of the keys mm-hmm. it's one of the bridges that we can build that literally everybody can cross over you know i don't care who you are like again like les miserables would be a great example where here's this incredible redemptive story um, and it just, it, it, it crosses every boundary. You know, mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. You're going to be touched by that, that story if you open your heart. And um, so again, that's awesome. You know what? Something is uh, in the middle of it all. I thought, you know, two white boys 
uh, writing a play about the Underground Railroad is probably not totally appropriate. Yeah. Although I have a lot of knowledge on it, but I called some friends of mine. I've got a couple of African-American pastors who are experts on African-American history. They're actually wow. universities and their local pastors here and their key pastors in the city. And I asked them, I said, look, here's what I'm doing. And they both laughed. They said, oh, good for you. You know, and I said, hey, I need your help. I need consultants. I need someone to rubber stamp this thing. Well, we get it. You can shape it. You can help us with the history. And I asked him about certain words that I was using. Are these acceptable words? I don't want to trigger any kind of problems or challenges. So they are they are basically co-creating with us. And then what we're going to do is we're going to test it out in our church. And we want wow. we're going to create it in a way where we can take it on the road. Wow. We want to take it on the road to black churches because we want to produce a uh, a healing story to African-Americans about how not everyone has been against them, not everyone's racist, but this country has had a segment of people that have stood with them for hundreds of years now. So we're encouraged, we're excited, and uh, you know we're, we're taking more time on this one than we did the other two because it's got a little more sensitive topic. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I do believe that it is time for us to enter that that discussion. Yes. Know, and to be part of this this discussion with our black brothers and sisters, as well as, you know, really trying to understand from both sides. And that's, you know, as you said earlier, you know, one church, you know, that has some division over the right and left issues. We've got to be able to build bridges there. And for yes. the most, you know, 90 percent of people are somewhere in the middle. But you have the extremes on both sides and they're kind of at war with each other and they make their money being at war with each other. And uh, most of them actually are somewhat in this in the middle saying, hey, you know, I can understand both sides on this. I I choose this side, but um, it's not without understanding. It's not without sympathy or empathy, you know. And so I think for you guys to do that is phenomenal. Okay, so let's let's zoom in on leadership. How are you right now? I mean, you've been one of the leader developers that I've known of and and respected over the years, you know, you've been, you know, a a key source within several different movements of apostolic wisdom. You're in Vineyard, you're in Catch the Fire, you're in, you know, Bethel Leadership Network. I mean, you're one of the top leader developers, but you said that things have kind of sagged a little bit during covid you maybe lost a few leaders or whatever. You're having to rebuild now. What is your strategy for rebuilding at this time? Well, we've been uh, for a couple of years now since COVID began, we started uh, running collectives. Collectives are a once a month experience of some sort. And so the reason we did collectives because we were trying to get people of common affinity together, Good. people that common interests. Like, so the first one we launched was the, uh, the um, artistic community. Uh, which we have 70 or 80 people involved in that. Our, of course, our worship community was quite large at the time. It was about 80. And now it's down to about probably 55 or so. So yeah. we've there's some damage. Some people moving to places they wanted to live during COVID. Yeah. Other people, you know, just staying at home. Other people, you know, we have combinations of all of that. We probably yeah. lost, you know, we're a church. We were a church of uh, 900 we probably lost a solid 200 people during that time. Wow. And so we really focused on systems and structures. So we wanted to make sure that when we came out of this, that we would come out with a bang. And that, so we focused on, we use uh, CCB, which is uh, community church builders. 
Yeah. Uh, we use it very strictly and very strongly. We use uh, uh, the collectives that we do. We had a prophetic collective this year. I'm sorry, not a prophetic collective. We had a um, wisdom collective and a uh, a wealth builders collective. Wow. I uh, I led both of those. Uh, the wealth builders collective had about 65 people in it. We met once a month. We ran down side potential side hustles for everyone in the church. We're trying to lift the economic uh, abilities of people, trying to lift philanthropy within the church. So I think that's been very successful. We finished it just a couple of weeks ago. Wow. We had a wisdom collective where I gathered uh, 30 random people out of the church. And I'm not kidding. They were random. So there were men, there were women, there were uh, people of color, there were uh, people well-trained, people working in factories and delivery people, all in one room. And I, I get with them every two months, actually. My last meeting with them is next week. And yeah. what I did was I'd get them together and they'd look around like, geez, what are we all here for? <laughs> I said, you're my wisdom collective. I said, I'm going to present to you problems and challenges every month and I want you to help me solve them. Wow. And uh, we have had the most fun. And we talked about things that you don't normally talk about in church, you know. Wow. Like what, uh, and for instance, talking, give us an example or two. Yeah, an example would be uh, alcohol in the church. Like, uh, you know, we're running weddings, you know, which brings revenue to the church. It gets people in our building. And uh, we love that. We love big people coming in, using our facilities. We have very nice facilities in three locations. So we have a lot of opportunity for that. And uh, we're actually building a building uh, this coming year to serve that and kind of a uh, wedding location. And so the question came up, what about alcohol? Some people like to have champagne at a wedding. Some like to have, you know, wine at a wedding. Some like to have an open bar, you know, and, it, and so we're, I'm like, oh my gosh, we talked about this for months. And I, you know, everywhere you get one side, we don't, we don't want any alcohol in the <clears> church. The other side, you know, we want alcohol. What's the problem? And, and so I brought it to the wisdom collective and it was yeah. one of the most dynamic uh, experiences of, wow. of sharing of opinions and thoughts, but it was in a constructive way because they are a part of the solution. Wow. So at the end of it, I, I said hardly anything. I don't think I said anything during the whole thing. I just helped moderate. And they got through and I said, what do you think? What is there? A, is your unanimous feel here? And we had people on both sides. Unanimously, they said, I think we should allow champagne and alcohol. And I said, okay, let's do it. And so I moved forward with the with the empowerment of 30 random people. So they all have their own places wow. that they talk about this. Yeah. So you're immediately spreading good gossip, <laughs> good gossip. Sure. Sure. Hey, no, we are part of it. We're part of this wisdom collective. So it it helped me. So this year now we're we're transforming that wisdom collective. We're forming one at each of our campuses. That's cool. And they're going to serve for two years, kind of like elders. Wow. But we're calling them the uh, we're calling them lead teams, and the lead teams will meet with the pastor and they'll solve problems and bring innovation. And now we're being selective who we're taking, and we're getting people that are that are hardcore lovers of the church and what we do. Yeah. And those are, so we're we're stacking the deck in our favor. Yeah. In uh, each of the three campuses, and I'm very excited about it because I've seen the fruit of it. And what we experienced this year. That's so cool. 
No, I think that, that that's a very, and it also gives you a lot of cover when you finally institute a policy because you said, hey, we had a, a wide mix of people. This isn't my opinion. Exactly. No, <laughs> this is our brothers. Do you know, do you know Sharon? Do you know Bob? They were here. Oh, okay. And I love that, you know, the, the issue of affinity as well. I think, uh, talk about that a little bit. Because again, you know, normally, like right now, yeah. one of the trends in small groups is to have inf- affinity groups and, uh, you know, or short-term groups that are focused around one golfing or hiking right. or whatever, you know, knitting, or, you know, um, I'm okay with that, but I also love the mix as well. You know, I love having a bunch of different people. How do you see the two interfacing? You know, uh, yeah. they- well, the first time in my history, I've been in ministry 44 years. We've tried small groups in every fashion, every phase. You know, the 12 out of South America, we tried right. uh, we yeah. tried them all, you know, a youngie Joe, you know, way back in the uh, 80s. And uh, we had limited success. At. I mean, it was they were OK. You know, and the people really gung ho to get together. A few they all showed up, you know, but uh, during pandemic, we started looking how how do we re, how do we remove barriers to create deeper intimacy to allow people to to glue yeah. To, to the vision and the direction and the tribe that we are. Right. So you got to use some kind of glue. And, and for years, I used uh, basically uh, post-it notes. Post-it notes are great. You put them on, you get them off, but they they fall off really easy. Right. This right. can go to another church really easy. You know, you take it off here, it's a sticking over there, you know. Sure. So I told her, I told her staff, we need gorilla glue. <laughs> we need <laughs> we need the glue that you can put on an anchor and lift it up, you know, because exactly. so. What is that? And we we started talking about affinity and we said, let's do so. So 2022. Yeah, we did our first full launch of kind of a new form of of growth, what we call growth groups. And those growth groups uh, had many affinities in them. Some of them were affinity in topic, affinity in likes or dislikes or purposes. So you have different categories you put them in. And we had 600, I just looked at the number yesterday, 690 people sign up for small groups Wow! Uh, at the beginning of the year and heavy participation. And we had two hiking groups and they talked about their lives and what they're going through. I mean, the connections that are made, most of these people are still hiking when the groups end. Wow. Uh, and that's the whole goal, you know, yeah. is to do that. So we had uh, yeah. we had a cooking group, we had hiking groups, we had Bible study groups, right. we had prayer intercession groups. Uh, we had, I think, uh, 35 or 40 total, something like that. That's so good. So, yeah, it was very solid for us. And uh, they were geographically located so that some of them you went to just because it was close to where you lived right. and get to know some people just down the street. But what is, what's happened is... It's it's locking the church together, and actually, a lot of people are moving toward our main campus. Like there, there's been a lot of buying and selling of houses during this whole COVID deal, uh-huh. and people are moving closer to us in Brunswick, wow. and uh, that's created now this whole pool of young adults and babysitters, you know, which is really important to young adults and, and yeah. stuff like that. So there's a lot of now. Uh, there are also some what I jokingly call renegade groups. I mean, they're not renegade, but they're right. they're groups that pastors, they say, you know, can we, we just want to form a group, but we don't want to be a part of this, of the growth group thing. We just, it's friends we have for a long time. 
you know, I don't get legalistic about it. I just say, yes, yes. I said, but can we, can we include you in on some of our training and stuff? Oh, yeah. oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not listed as a group. So we have yeah. actually, I think we have about three or four of those Yeah, groups that have established already and they, they kind of don't want to be open groups right now. Yeah. But they've got their relationships built solid. They do what they vacation together. They're camping, whatever. I'm fine with that. I don't care. I just, as long as they're together and they're attaching to the vision of the church. Sure. Sure. So all of that has been, I think, I think right now <clears throat> that is 2021 was not quite ready for that because people were still afraid of being together. Yeah. But 2022 has, was wide open. We opened up at the perfect time and I'm looking at 2023. I believe, I believe at the end of 23, I think we're going to, uh, I think we're going to move up into the uh, four figures on attendance uh, because we feel the momentum right now. Even those that have Good. suffered, Good. the two campuses have suffered have turned around and are starting to increase now. So systems, let me just say this real real quick, Michael. Uh, Luke 5, I probably mentioned on here even last, it's one of my life passages. But Luke 5, you know, they're fishing and they caught nothing. And Jesus tells them to um, throw the net in for a catch. They throw the net in. And you know the story. There's so much fish that the nets are breaking and the boats are sinking. Yes. Uh, the uh, series out, The Chosen, does such a beautiful uh, interpretation of that. You know, right, right. where the boats are beginning to creak and sink and they quickly pour it on shore. But they're all laughing as they're doing yeah. it. Because it's like, wow, this is this was an awe, yeah. Well, I believe a boat sinking, net breaking revival is is about to come upon us. I believe it's the Bob Jones word of the billion soul harvest. And so we are working fervently right now to strengthen our nets yeah. and to build bigger boats. And in my world, boats mean, mean uh, facilities and properties. Yes. Nets mean systems, structures, and people relationships. Good. Yeah, so the good. soft side of the church are those relationships. They're nets that we we want them to be able to take thousands in and the nets not be broken. And by the way, in John 21, when the resurrected Jesus sees them and they're out, they can't tell who he is. They, they say, how are you fishing? We've caught nothing. He says, throw the, the net on the other side. They don't know who it is. They throw the net. The exact same thing happens that happens in Luke 5. Peter right. sees that because John tells him, jumps in the water. They get on the beach and breakfast is waiting for him. So evidently between Luke 5 and John 21, they fix some nets. <laughs> and because of it, they yeah. didn't lose any fish. So we want to, we right. don't want to lose one person in this revival. And, and obviously the key to that is your leadership development dynamic. Because, um, you know, again, just doing the simple math, a billion soul harvest, if we want to pastor a billion souls at a one per hundred ratio, we're going to need 10 million new leaders Woo! pastoring. I mean, it's it's just shocking. You know, we really, wow. if we're talking about small group leadership, we need really a hundred million new small group le leaders across the world. And so, <clears throat> you know, I, I would say personally that leadership development is probably the most urgent issue in the body of Christ right now. And that's why, you know, because we were probably about the same size church as you were in San Francisco during our heyday. And uh, we had reached about 70 small groups, um, about 40 were generic, and then uh, and then uh, 30 were sort of the uh, the stop and start affiliate groups, you know, the, uh, yeah. the uh, and so, but the idea, of course, uh, you know, 
renewal in the mid nineties kind of killed our groups. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we went from seven sword. <laughs> yeah. We went to 15 groups at the end of uh, 18 months yeah. of nightly meetings, but anyway, but what we've been working on recently is trying to integrate leadership development into our small group structures. And by, by creating multiple job descriptions and multiple levels of, of, uh, of developmental processes. Um, that's you know the the project we're working on within the the pastors coach world and it seems to be going really well in a lot of churches i'm wondering how you're tackling that like cuz you know a lot of people build their leadership development processes outside of the existing structures we're trying to innovate some ways of building them into our existing structures so that they're systemic within the structures themselves, as you talked about systems. Okay. How, how are you seeing the, the relationship between let's say the sort of the outrigger approach to leadership development or the, the internal <laughs> systems approach? Well, we're, we're trying to follow Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's a novel thought. Let's do that instead. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, Jesus probably knew at some level everyone he recruited as a disciple. Yeah. I've yeah, studied this previous people. relationship. Yeah. yeah. There was some kind of a, hey, how you doing type relationship in there. So when he went to Peter and said, hey, follow me, it wasn't, wasn't just a random guy that he picked, right. I think. And I think even with Matthew, the tax collector, which is also a great depiction in the in the chosen. Um, but here's the deal. We just recently we were looking around at all of our what we call champions, people that are they're gone beyond leadership. They have their own ministries. I mean, they're they're doing stuff that is rivaling a lot of things, you know. I mean, they're they're sure. we've got one woman in our church who is the architect of the heartbeat bill, which has swept through 17 states wow. to become wow. law. I mean, she sits in the second row of our Brunswick campus. She's amazing. Uh, uh, I don't know if you'd call her a. Uh, she's a political um, lobbyist for for the for the unborn, and so <clears throat> she was up in Michigan fighting a battle a few weeks ago. We were praying for her, and she comes right back. She's part of our church. She always jokes and says, "I didn't leave. I'm still here," you know. But she's been out in the battlefield. Uh, we've got uh, a guy traveling with Randy Clark and doing some amazing things. We've got um, the the hug lady who is united the city together between blacks and whites and police officers and gangs. And wow. I mean, these people, when they started with me, they were just normal folks. Wow. And what we did, what I discovered is we were looking around recently and I said, you know, the, the key, the best leaders we get, I, I'm hesitant to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The best leaders we get are always a little edgy. There's something about them that, that you're like, well, if they could fix that, uh, you know, we'd put them in the leadership. You know, if they didn't talk so much, we'd put them in the leadership. If they weren't so opinionated, we'd put them in the leadership. And yet you look at Jesus and who he recruited. And by the way, the chosen again depicts that very well. Like, you know, you think, how in the world? Why did Jesus leave those 12 uh, to build the church over 2,000 years? Like, I would have never recommended it. You know, yeah. Peter, especially the rock. Exactly. Who denied Jesus three times? You know, it's like they're they're losers, man. They're not going to be able to do it. So recently, we have started looking at those that 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 create that bit of angst in us. You know, like man, oh, geez, you know, 
you know, they smoke cigars and everyone knows about it. And, you know, I don't know, do we want that <laughs> representing, you know, and they're going to have a yeah. cigar smoking group. And, you know, and I, I felt the Lord just say, uh, just ask them to follow you. And so we've been doing that. We've been giving people responsibilities that are above their emotional pay grade wow. and just saying, go for it and then coach them. You know, yeah. it's much easier than doing training. I mean, basic training, there's no problem with that. And I, and I, I think we should do that all the time. You know, what's, what's a leader like, it's like what we're doing right now, you know, what's a leader like, what are the components, the values, so forth. But a lot of people in our churches are already leaders. I've got one guy, an African-American guy, who when there's a devastation like a hurricane on the East Coast, he rallies, I think he said 16,000 uh, guys who climb those poles and reconnect wow. all. There's 16,000 yeah. of them that he, I'm thinking, and, and at church, he's uh, he's helping, he was helping with ushering or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, what, this is this is insane. I mean, I got a Harvard grad lawyer who uh, went to school with President Obama, wow. who was a great attender, supporter, and all that, but you know, not intimately involved in the church. He's 60 years old, and he's in my worship band now. He wow. plays he plays amazing guitar, and so you know, I'm looking at these people like, wait, there many of these people are already my son-in-law, who's second in command of the church spent, I think, eight years at Starbucks in management roles. Wow. And I tell you that when he arrived with us 12 years ago, he wasn't quite ready. I put him in a role, but he wasn't quite ready. So he got a side job at Starbucks. Starbucks discipled him in management. Yes. Now now he's running our church like Starbucks. Wow. He is, he is amazing at it, you know. So wow. So Michael, I think I think a lot of our answers are sitting right there around us. We need to put them into reasonably put them into, you know, if they got moral issues or whatever, that's a different story. But if they're just edgy or right. overzealous or what, use them. Put yeah. them in the roles, practice with them. And you know what? Most of my staff right now are people that came out of those those roles. That's and so they already have we've already discipled them. They they love the culture. There's hardly, there's no one currently, currently we have, I think, 22 staff and there's, there's nobody on that staff right now that is not, that I am not absolutely comfortable with in their abilities and their, well, their character. No, so good. I mean, you know, if you look at Jesus, you know, I mean, his guys were fighting who was the best on the night that he was betrayed <laughs> and Jesus never disqualified them for their edginess or for their pride or for their ambition. See, I, I usually distinguish between ambition and aspiration. Aspiration is the purest form of ambition. Ambition is sort of like the, the evil twin, <laughs> you know, usually driven by uh, a whole bunch of orphan spirit dynamics. You know there I mean? it is, yeah. Okay. But Jesus never disqualified his guys no. for prideful ambition. He had you a zealot know? on his team. Yeah. And I, I, I used, so I, I've kind of come to this conclusion that that those kinds of things are like uh, the booster rockets on the Challenger. You know, it's yeah. like they they get you out of the gravitational pull of whatever else it is is pulling you down, and then ultimately they have to fall away in order for you to get your 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 full altitude. You know? But I, I usually that's true. Like, that's true in church planning, especially. 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the core, the group you start with typically is not the core you end with. Exactly. So yeah. and you just got to realize that some people like the grittiness of starting out. Yeah. But down there, so the leaders you need then and the leaders you need right. now, 26 years later, are different. But let's let's talk about this, though. Let, you know, yeah. you, you mentioned that a bunch of people are coming to the Lord in your church. Obviously, some of them will already have leadership positions in the world. You know, they'll be involved in other things that are, you know, and they'll have some leadership skills that they developed. How do you bring them into a, let's call it a, a father-son relationship, mother-daughter relationship? In other words, they're coming in as newborn babes in Christ. We want to be able to take them from spiritual infancy to adulthood, where they're actually leading whatever at the full measure of their maturity in Christ, do you have in your world uh, a set of steps that are somewhat identifiable? Yeah, we do. And we have, we have steps actually, we call them steps, Bethel steps. And when, when you get in, you go through a, a three-part course that basically explains who we are, our culture and all that kind of stuff, right. you know, and we, and we gain um, uh, connection information with them and encourage them to get involved in small group and that. But what we have right after that is our PhD. PhD is prophetic healing and deliverance. And yeah. so we encourage them to go to these courses where they, they're not just teaching courses. They are training courses. You do whatever you're being taught in. You do, you learn to prophesy. We get them into like our, our highest, our highest level of lay ministry at, at this point has been, uh, uh, no, the highest point of ministering has been our ministry teams, which yeah. it, which we typically have had hundreds of those at a time. Right now, we're probably a little low, maybe 120, 130, something like that. Yeah, they participate on these teams every Sunday at church. They're also called upon for special stuff at conferences and things like that. Sure. Because in that, there's a lot of coaching. We meet with them. You train them. You meet with them. How are they doing? Uh, we have leaders that keep an eye on them to make sure if they're going through a difficult time. But uh, we try to lead them. I, I believe in uh, steps and ladders and courses to move people along and people to connect with them. The the three words we're using, again, are that describe our new pattern. These are very new words to us, nourish. So through the word of God, through preaching and teaching and so forth, we want to nourish people. We want to heal them, speaking of physical body and soul. So we have sozos uh, that go on every week. We're doing sozos. We do freedom weekends. We do all yeah. kinds of things to heal yeah. the soul. Yeah. Lots of ministry during a Sunday service to healing of the soul. I yeah. lead a lot of ministry at the end of worship every Sunday where we call out stuff, we heal them. And then the final one is uh, flourish. And flourish is let, let's let's give them a, a potted plant in a greenhouse and yeah. see what they do with it. So yeah. that when they engage with them outside of the church walls and encourage them to flourish outside of those walls. Ultimately, the ideal church to me has has no outreach at all. Yeah, none at all. It's not necessary because the church is the outreach. Right. Everywhere right. people go. Most of our outreach, things we call outreach, we do touch people like feeding the poor and things like that. But you know, really what it's doing is it's it's touching the people that are serving. Right. People that are serving are being transformed. Yeah. And so I saw that years ago and I thought, okay, we don't need to do as much of this. We, you know, our, our, uh, I was just looking at it yesterday, yesterday, our, our outreach budget 
Like, so we're like a $2.1 million budget, you know, our outreach budget is $21,000, but we piggyback on other events that are going on in the community, which are very, we go to a Jesus festival, a Catholic Jesus festival in our city draws 35,000 people. We're the only church that they let set up a booth. And so we set up a booth and we pray and bless people and prophesy over people, Catholics, by the thousands, you know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, so those kinds of things where you you're wanting to, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit conservative, uh, a bit, little bit Republican in my Christianity, in that I want small government, and and massive outreach. So we want to empower people to build their ministry, in what God, whether that's just touching their neighbor or whatever it is. Have a ministry. It doesn't have to be incorporated or anything like the 501c3. You don't have to do that. But you are called to be an ambassador of reconciliation. And you're the only one that can do it on your street that we know of. So get out there and do that. And I just got through a 10-week series on food. And so we're, we really talked about the power of food to change the mood. Food changes the mood. And it's supernatural. And as you study through the New Testament and even the Old Testament, food is used all the time by Jesus in yeah. order to bring reconciliation, to bring peace, yeah. the table, and the presence of your enemies. It goes on and on. I mean, it's, I got like 29 different events with Jesus and food. So, so we're using a lot of food. We just had a a difficult uh, conversation with one of our staff uh, today at a Mexican restaurant. It was me, (laughs) the senior associate and this person. So we do it at the restaurant on purpose. Number one, the restaurant uh, brings a more controlled environment. Yes. No, someone's not going to explode or get angry or anything like that. And you're eating food. And when you eat food, it feels like communion. I mean, there's this communal feel that comes and it brings whatever's going on down another 20%. So we've mitigated 20% in the restaurant, Uh 20% with the food. We're down to 60% right now. That's so good. Yeah, we all hugging each other. You know, Acts 2.42, it's like the apostles teaching fellowship breaking of bread we always reduce that to a little cup and a little wafer yeah i know it. Oh, it no, was it's lovely. fellowship it's koinonia yeah it was that time around a meal and 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 again you have to also put that in the framework of of all primitive worship services non non-christian yeah. centered around a meal well the first 200 years in the early church agape meals were at every service exactly and 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 again, we've just kind of you know it's such a hassle. Let's just do our small group without a meal, you know. But gosh, the degree to which we're missing. Well, you know what we discovered. You know, I'm a big Italianophile. You know, I, I love sure. Italy, and uh, well, I followed your posts with envy. So <laughs> we we're committed to go back every year for the rest of our lives as long as we can um. do it. But uh, and I've got a lot of little side hustle stuff that I'm working on over there. But about four weeks ago, I uh, I was preaching about on food, and I was I was preaching about the the power of when you break bread with one another and and eat together. So my wife prepared uh, I was four or five hundred plastic cups full of the charcuterie. So we had, <laughs> you know, we had some grapes in there, we had some cheese in there, we had. Uh, uh, what else was in there? Olives were in there. Wow. Uh, it was it was all vegetarian kind of thing. All yeah. sitting in there, 
and one had a little spear through it, you know, just like you do with sure. the cheese. And and, uh, and so I said, I handed it out at the beginning of my message, started preaching. I said, look, don't eat this. Hold on to it till later. We're going to eat this together. So I wanted them to look at it for the whole sermon. I wanted <laughs> them to smell it, you know, like, oh, yeah. man, that's really, because, you know, it's right around lunchtime anyway. Uh-huh. And then we pulled those two grapes out and we talked about abiding in the vine. And so wow. I, I did it like communion. Wow. I said, these grapes represent you and me. The turtle song from the 60s, me and you, you and me, together forever. As we eat this together, think of our abiding in the vine in Jesus Christ. You may now eat. So we'd eat those grapes. Then we went to the cheese. We talked about the cheese. And I forget what I said about but I had this whole prophetic thing for each (laughs) one of the ones all the way through. Oh, we had a date in there. And we talked about that and uh, just the sweetness of it. And sure. so I looked around, people were emotional. They were, there were people that were weeping. I mean, not a lot, but there oh. were, but there were people emotional because we took food to a whole new level of communion. I'm telling you, the people that were there that day, people that weren't there really, they're really upset they'd missed it, you know, and they thought we were going to do it every week after that. And, <laughs> yeah, but the, um, the people that were there, I tell you 30 years from now, it'll be in the top three sermons they remember. Wow. Not because of what I said, but no, because right. they, happened. they yeah. smelled it, they that's tasted amazing. it. So this Sunday's okay. Bread Sunday. It's our last one. And we're giving everyone a loaf of bread uh, when they leave. And we're asking them to uh, share it with somebody that they're either having a challenge or difficult or relational wow. stuff with. We're going to pray over all the bread. We're going to release it. You take it. You even tell them, look, my pastor prayed over this bread and said that we need to eat together. So it's almost like a secular communion. Sure. That's uh, awesome. to, to reconcile. So, you know, we're just trying to be creative and think like, uh, how can we get away from just being talking heads and how we can, how can we communicate without being cheesy? Exactly. Well, we need to wrap up in just a minute, okay. but I want you to actually take a few minutes and talk to me about where you see this stuff going in the next five years. Okay. Yeah. Especially as it relates to leadership, leadership development, yeah. um, Obviously, you said earlier, you know, according to that that prophecy that's been repeated by so many people, that we could be on the verge of what might be the greatest harvest of human souls for the kingdom in human history. Um, we need leaders to be there, mothers and fathers who can raise up the, the babies into maturity in Christ. Talk about that. Talk about what you see coming in the future. How, you know, what's the timetable? <clears throat> You know, what's the urgency? Yeah. Um, I, I'll give you my, my slant. My feeling is, is that we're we're entering into a uh, a post-Christian, particularly in America, post-Christian culture. Uh-huh. A lot of other countries in Europe are already there, you know, been there for years. But uh, so I've been studying a lot about the, and even today I was reading in Daniel, uh, surviving in a, in a non-Christian environment, you know, which yeah. is most of the Bible, actually. And so I got a few books that I read, and then I'll make a comment on it. But uh, Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreher is a great book uh, wow. of, of knowing what to do in the midst of the, the big dynamic, fiery environment we have right now politically. And I feel this is drawn a lot. of I, There's certain Christians that are called into that, like a Lance Wall yeah. now. Yeah. But I, I don't feel that I am. I feel that I want to stay a, above the fray. And the thing that's going to be attractive actually in the future, particularly in these next five to seven years, 
I believe yeah, five to eight years actually <laughs> is going to be uh, kind of back to the seventies in some ways. Yeah. It's the community. It's the community. It's closeness. It's farm to table. It's local organic. Yeah. It's all of that. Again, I know it sounds cheesy, but it's really not. People want to engage on a local level. And so we're beginning very local right now. We want, we want to, we, we've raised a hundred thousand dollars this year for the nations. We sent money to Bulgaria and Kenya and all over the place. And we're going to continue to do that. And we're going to continue to send teams, but here local, most people won't do that. Most te- people are living right here. So build strong, local, good churches. This mm-hmm. town I planted a church in a campus in 10 years ago in Middleburg Heights, a suburb of Cleveland. I met with the mayor and I said, mayor, what can we do to help you? I encourage you to do that, by the way. <clears throat> what can we do to help this community? He said, he said, pastor, the best thing you can do is build a strong church that helps people. And so I went back and reported our church. I said, this is our, our commission. Wow. Is that this is what the local authorities, what that means is if you do that, see, I already committed with him and they're building a huge park across the street. I would have never guessed this. A park, buying all the land across the street from that building. Wow. They're building a trailhead there with the trail meet, meeting to the major park. And he's building this huge parking lot across the street. So I was standing with him in the parking lot because I listened to him. He said, uh, I said, what are you going to do with that land under the power line over there? He says, we already approved it. We're building a public parking lot. I said, anyone's able to use that? He said, yes. I said, so when I have special events over here, you're going to allow us to use that parking lot? And he thought of it a second. He said, yes, of course. So wow. immediately now we don't have to add another 100 parking spaces. Wow. We've got a light right there. They can come right across the street. So you get to know your neighbors. Join the Rotary Club. Our pa- I just got my pastor to join the local Rotary Club here in Brunswick. It's all the businesses getting together. You'd be surprised what doors open up when you commune locally. You know, America is really based on local. You yeah. got all this spray going on up here. Yeah. but. The big decisions that we live by are made locally. The second book I recommend is I'm in right now, and I love it. It's called The Benedict Option. It's by Rod Dreher, also The Benedict Option. Wow. I think it's it's on your screen, but it's a great great book. And it's it's about building local communities. And it's really strong on uh, putting yourself somewhere and staying there. Wow. The Benedict Monks... Uh, we're going for 15, uh, about 1500 years. Well, as I was in 1500, uh, they, they were uh, strongly established, but they've been going for hundreds and hundreds of years. And where they go, when a monk goes into that particular uh, monastery, uh, they stay there for life. They minister wow. locally, they get locally, they love wow. the land, all that stuff. They create stuff for the land, they feed the poor. And I, I really believe that the Catholicism that some people have mocked is going to come be very important in these next years ahead that, to build something locally, feed the poor, and learn how to survive and thrive. Get all your people to run for local school boards and all that kind of stuff so that you're you're gaining influence into the area. But they're going to love you and they're going to vote for you if you've taken care of them and you've been there for them. So do those funerals, do those weddings, do those outreaches, let them know that you're a church that's in the community and you love them. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think um, a phrase that I came up with actually as a result of working with some friends in this very thing you're talking about was 
you know, we've lost the right to lead because we've lost the will to serve. Ah, that's good. That's good. No. And uh, so much of, you know, as I, you know, I guess we were both in Jeremiah around the same time because now we're both in Daniel. <laughs> but um, I was really meditating on Jeremiah, you know, this whole idea of Jeremiah being called to be a prophet during a difficult time where he was against the tide. Like every other prophet was prophesying good things are coming, you know, don't think it's going to be that bad. And he was saying, no, we've got some hard times ahead of us. We've got, yeah, some what do you think? It's a plant a vineyard. Yeah, exactly. Get married. Yeah. Have children. Yeah. You know, marry those children. Exactly. You know, Bless the land. Yeah. He laid out basically 70 years and he said, the peace of your city will be governed by your peace. So you bring good. peace to the city, you will have peace. And that's really what you guys have modeled in Cleveland. You know, it's, 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 you know, the, the, I've had friends, obviously, uh, you know, Joseph Trombo was part of your thing. I love you know, I've, I've heard a lot of the feedback just it's his from birthday me. today, by the way, what's that? It's his birthday today. Oh, good. I, I need to say <laughs> hello, but you know, just the fact that you guys have, you know, just the feedback I've gotten from other leaders that have been part of your church, gone to conferences and been there and seen what God's doing. You guys are doing it. And that's what I, I love about, you know, that even that that local emphasis is that you guys have actually done it. You're not just talking it, you're doing it. And and God's given you that that breadth of influence, which, you know, you cannot buy with money. You cannot, uh, you know, assert yourself politically to gain that. It only comes through years of laying down your life for your community. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing that we can give some respect to the Catholics for is the fact that they they look at the world as a parish. Their yes. flock is distinct from the parish. The parish, but they feel a responsibility for the whole city, not just for their little piece of the city that happens to show up on a Sunday morning. Yes, That parish mentality is something that we need to adopt in the evangelical church you know we have to be able to see that if you're a pastor in a city you're the pastor of that city you're not just the pastor of that you know 150 people that come on a sunday so again any final words you have to anybody listening to this in our yeah don't don't get discouraged i mean i i know there's a million reasons to get discouraged but there is we if you get out of that fray you know i don't watch a lot of uh news anymore you know i used to be a news addict because it does affect your mentality but if you get into daily studying of scripture and waiting on the lord just for the new year it'd be a great great thing to do just find a one-year bible plow through it difficult good all all the rest of that and grip get just hug on a local church you know lead local church as your little flock be a peter to them a paul to them whatever yeah. Love on them, bring in outsiders to stir them up periodically. You're going to be so satisfied with life. I'm 66 now. I look back over it. There's ups and downs, but I thank the Lord for every step of the way and thank him that he gave me a privilege to serve in this way. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for being on this call again. And obviously, you know, I'd love just a personal time with you. I'll try to schedule something in the next few weeks just to, you know, run by you some of the things we're doing and see, get your feedback. Yeah. Because you you are still one of our official advisors. All right, so, good. Anyway, but anyway, God bless you. God bless the the church in Cleveland. God bless everything that you guys are doing. And let's stay in touch. Okay. Thanks for the opportunity. Okay. God bless.